Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through His Word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Today we're going to continue in Romans chapter 9. I have my wife Laura and my good friend Alan that is here, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through verse 18. Romans chapter 9 is one of the most important chapters concerning God's plan for the nation of Israel. Not just the Israel according to the flesh, but also the Israel according to the promise. And we're going to look at chapters 9, 10, and 11 and look at these three chapters. These three chapters are so critical for everything that we know about the Jewish people, God's promises to them, and also about a future fulfillment of God's promise to the nation according to the flesh. When we looked at the first five verses, you saw the intensity of Paul's love for the Jewish people, even to the point that he would be willing to give up his own salvation if it was possible so that they could come to know him. And so when you look at that, anyone that has come to know Christ, has come to know the Messiah, should have a great love and appreciation for the Jewish people and the nation of Israel and a desire to reach them with the gospel. That should be for everybody, but especially for the Jewish people. Because from them came the covenants, came all the promises. The word of God came through the Jewish people. And then when we look at ultimately God's salvation through his Messiah has come to the world through Israel and through a a remnant of Jewish people that were willing to lay down their lives to bring this new covenant to the nations. And so that should never build within us a pride or arrogance towards the Jewish people, but it should build such a great love and an affection for them and a desire to minister God's word to them and a desire to see God's promise come back to the people that God fulfilled his promises through them to the world. And so let's look at verses 6 through 18, and verse 6 is critical. Verse 6 shows that God's word has not failed, and let's read this verse. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they, they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. And what this is talking about is a descendant from Israel according to the flesh. There are more descendants of Israel that have not physically descended from Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. So when we look back into the old covenant, that is true, but it is especially true for the new covenant. In the old covenant, you had people that were being grafted in to the house of Israel, We look at the Egyptians, we look at Rahab, we look at Ruth, who was a Moabitess, we look at the Persian people in the book of Esther, how many became Jews, and they embraced the God of Abraham, the God of Israel, and they became part of the community of faith. You also have in the Old Covenant those that were cut off from the covenant relationship that God had made with Israel because of their actions. In fact, we almost saw one tribe completely eliminated, the tribe of Benjamin, because of their sin. And over and over in the law, it says, 
cut them off from the house of Israel. So this understanding of people being grafted in according to their actions and a promise and people being cut off is not just a new covenant concept that we're seeing here in Romans chapters 9 through 11, but it is a concept that Paul is bringing alive in what is happening to the Gentiles, this principle that has already existed, has always existed in the Old Covenant. So in verse 6, he says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. God's word has not failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, from a physical descent. And the next verse kind of explains this. Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. And what we're going to look at here is not about a physical descent, but it's about a promise. And the word of God has not failed. If it was about a physical descent, then everything that God had promised to Abraham would come through which individual? Ishmael, the Ishmaelites. But Ishmael was not a son of the promise. In fact, he was a son that was not believing God could do this miracle through Sarah. The promise was with Abraham and Sarah that God would give Sarah a son. This was the promise. And Ishmael was a lack of faith on Sarah's part that convinced Abraham to go into Hagar and to have a son for her through Hagar. So it's not about a physical descent. If it was about a physical descent, Ishmael would have been the line that God would have brought his promises through. But it was through Isaac your descendant will be named. He says, through Isaac your descendants will be named. Let's go on to verse 8. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. It is not those that are born physically, a physical descent that are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. And the promise was through Isaac. And from Isaac will come Jacob. And it's not going to be through Esau that we're going to see here in a moment, who is the natural physical descendant that the promise should have come through or the inheritance should have come through, but it's going to come through Jacob. Scott, thinking about context, we talked a little bit about this last podcast in 1 through 5, but, you know, Paul's probably writing to predominantly a Gentile group here with some Jews in the mix. Would you say this is, is more directed to the Gentile believers, this statement? Or is it kind of covering both? Because you see it, I mean, back at that time, obviously the Jews that were believed that Jesus was the Messiah knew that they were children and knew that they'd accepted the Messiah. But maybe the Gentiles were having trouble seeing their own acceptance as being uh, Israel's according to the promise. I don't know, just trying to see your thoughts on yes, that. Yes, I think it is directed towards both, especially chapter 11 is a very strong chapter directed towards Gentile background believers because he doesn't want them to become arrogant in their own estimation. However, it is to both groups, and both groups need to understand Jewish background believers, Gentile background believers, it's always been about a promise. So Isaac was chosen not because he was a physical descendant of Abraham, but because of the promise that was given to Abraham and Sarah. There is also a promise that is given to Gentiles, to the nations, that through Israel, salvation will come to the world. 
and a people that are not my people shall become my people. And so this is a promise. And so it's always, whether, Alan, you're looking at Gentile background believers or Jewish background believers, it's always about a promise. So both groups need to understand that. Because just because we're a physical descent of a certain person, that is not what defines us. Abraham is the father of faith. And there was a promise that his descendants, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed or all the families of the earth will be blessed, Abraham, because you obeyed my voice, because he was a man of faith. And so there's a promise of one day descendants of Abraham through his seed that we see in Galatians that is singular. There is only one individual that was a descendant, plural, that fulfilled that promise to Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed, and that seed is singular. That seed is the Messiah, Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's go on to verse 9, or let me read verse 8 again. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. Isaac was a child of promise. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. That's coming from Genesis chapter 18. And not only this, but there was Rebekah, and not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. So the promise is not just going to be about Abraham and Sarah, but there's also a promise about Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And you can look at verse 13 and look at Malachi verses 1 and 2, and I think even verse 3. And verse 12 is coming from Genesis chapter 25. When we look at this, so much is being given to us concerning this promise. The promise is coming through Isaac. The promise is going to continue not through Esau, if it was about a, just being a physical descent, he was the elder, Esau, and the birthright, the inheritance, the blessing primarily would have gone to Esau. And the covenant that God made with Abraham and with Isaac would now go through Esau to the Edomites. But before they were born, God chose Jacob over Esau. And look at verse 13. Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. So we see this promise that is not going through Esau, but it's going through Jacob. Now I want to go back and remind us from Romans chapter 8, and I believe it's verse 28. Let me look back. No, I'm sorry, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. The immediate context is that predestination, what God chooses, what he elects to do, is based upon his foreknowledge. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 29. 
Also, I want you to go to Romans chapter 11, verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Again, in chapter 11, the whole immediate context is the foreknowledge of God. The overall context is the foreknowledge of God. Whether we're dealing with Isaiah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets, the message to Israel within the new covenant, the plan of God of salvation to the Gentiles, all of this is based upon God's foreknowledge. And so when we look at this, what I really want the listener to understand, some within Reformed theology believes that God makes a choice that's based upon his arbitrary choosing of one person, heaven and hell. Esau, I hated. Jacob, I loved. Esau, I have rejected. Jacob, I have received. But the immediate context and the overall context is based upon the foreknowledge of God, for whom he foreknew he predestined. And what I'm saying is this, very simple. Before God created the heavens and the earth and before God created his special creation, mankind that was created in his image, God knew that he would sin, that mankind would sin and walk away from him. Yet God created mankind anyway, and he already had a plan of redemption and salvation that would come through his Messiah. He already had a plan in Genesis chapter 12 to make a covenant with a man named Abram and bring forth salvation to the world through Abram and through his seed that the nations that were rebelling against God could come to know God's forgiveness and God's covenant relationship with them as well. It's all based upon the foreknowledge of God. And do you also feel it's based on the grace of God? Because some people think that the old covenant is law and the new covenant is grace. But Abraham was an idol worshiper. Jacob was a rascal. And so these people, they had a heart for God, but it's God's grace that chose them, not their good works. Exactly. Everything, old covenant, new covenant, everything about the Bible, it comes down to God's grace. And what we're looking at is God's plan of salvation, his grace, is based upon his foreknowledge even before he created all things. And it's a very good point in which you bring forth that God's grace is the plan of God from the very beginning to mankind that is going to sin against God and rebel against God, and God's going to release them to their own desires. Yet God has a plan of his grace, his redemption, his salvation, and which he's bringing to the world. And he's going to bring it through Abraham and not through Ishmael because he was not the child of promise. God had a plan and a promise that would come through Isaac. And from Isaac, it's not going to go through Esau and the Edomites. God rejected Esau based upon his foreknowledge, but he chose Jacob because he knew the direction that Jacob was going. And people ask, well, I don't see much difference between Esau and Jacob in their character. But there is one big difference between the two. Esau was a self-made individual, had his own kingdom, and did not need the inheritance. And in the words, if you really read it in the Hebrew, the inheritance did not have value to him. But with Jacob, he was willing to lie and and deceive to receive his father's blessing. Before they came out of their mother's womb, 
God knew this about Esau and Jacob, and Esau was rejected, and Jacob was loved by God. Esau was hated. Jacob was loved. It's based upon his foreknowledge, and God has a plan of redemption that's going to come through Jacob. God knows all things. God is the potter. We are the clay. And God is bringing forth his plan of salvation. And it's not going to go through Esau, but it's going to go through Jacob based upon his foreknowledge. Now, let's talk about the foreknowledge of God. God knows all things. He would not be God if he did not know all things. He knows everything about what's going to happen in our lives, what direction we are going to go. He gives us opportunity. We do have free will, yet God already knows which direction we are going to go within our lives. Yet the same God who is consistent, that doesn't change, brings forth his plan of salvation and allows us to choose which direction we are going to go. But he already knows how we are going to respond to his grace. So people get confused about that, and I take them to Isaiah Isaiah, before he begins his ministry, is told that what he preaches is going to harden their hearts. It's going to make their hearts insensitive. It's going to cause blindness. It's going to cause deafness. They're not going to hear. They're not going to see. But God sends him out anyway to bring truth to the Israelites and to the Jewish people, to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, to give them an opportunity to repent. But God already knows their response. You see that true within Jeremiah's life. You see it true with everyone that ministers God's Word. You see it true within the life of Jesus and His ministry here upon the earth. He has one purpose, and that is going to the cross. And he knew in the end he would be rejected by his own people. Yet he continued to reveal the truth, to live the truth, to show that he is the only one that could be their Messiah. Yet the goal was that he was to be the Lamb of God, laying down his life for the sins of the world. So you see that all the way through the Bible. It is not an arbitrary choosing like we see that is taught within Reform or Calvinistic theology. What that says is, Laura, you're going to heaven, and Alan, you're going to hell. There's nothing you can do about it. You don't have a choice within your life. This is God's arbitrary choosing of which direction that God is sending you. That is not scripturally based because God within his sovereignty has given us a free will, has given us choice. But before we are even created, God knows, Laura, which direction you're going to go and Alan, which direction you will go within your life. It's that simple. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. And so this is what Paul is teaching. This is what the Word of God is teaching. And this systematic theology that says that God arbitrarily says heaven and hell is not scripturally based. All right, let's continue here. Verse 14, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. What is he talking about? Esau he hated, Jacob he loved. Well, could there be injustice with God? May it never be. May that never enter our mind. Verse 15, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. God has a plan of bringing redemption to the whole world. This is the context of how the gospel is coming to the Gentiles. And when he looks at Jacob, 
He will have mercy on whom he has mercy, and he will have compassion on the one he wants to have compassion on. He looks at the life of Jacob, and he sees that the inheritance, the blessing, would have value upon his life. And before he was born, Jacob he loved, and Esau he hated. And we look at the mercy that was extended to Jacob and the compassion that was extended to Jacob in his life. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Everything comes back to the mercy and the compassion and the grace of God. Everything about God's salvation is based upon his mercy and his grace. What do you think it means there, Scott, when he's talking about wills and runs? How would you you explain that, the man who wills and the man who runs? Everything ultimately comes back to the mercy of God and the grace of God, God's compassion. Salvation is 100% from God. The plan of God's redemption for the world is going back to what Laura talked about. Some people say, well, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant people are saved by the law and the New Covenant by grace. That is completely wrong. We have always come to God by His grace. Abraham comes from a family of idol worshipers, but God, by His grace, chose Abraham, and He spoke to his life, and Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and a covenant was established with Abraham that would bring salvation to the world. So when we look at salvation, it is not the man who wills or the man who runs, but it's God who brings about his mercy. And everything about God's salvation from the very beginning, let's look at it, before he created Adam and Eve, God knew that they would sin against him, but he already had a plan of salvation. The Lamb of God was slain from the foundations of the earth. The plan of God's redemption was already established from the foundation of the earth. And we're seeing God's mercy being extended to Jacob. God's mercy coming through Isaac, the plan of God's salvation coming through these individuals. So it's not the man who runs or the man who wills, but ultimately it is God's grace, God's mercy, God's compassion. Let's go on to verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. That's coming from Exodus chapter 9. And you go through the whole story of the Israelites coming into the land, how God used Joseph in order to save them from starvation, from famine, brought them into the land. Later on, they are brought into slavery by the pharaohs. And now they are under the pharaoh, and God's about to demonstrate his power through Pharaoh that will show how great his name that will be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. What is very important for us to understand, that God is going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. Let's look at verse 18. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. So he's about to harden the heart of Pharaoh, but who is he going to have mercy upon? The Israelites the people that come through Isaac, the people that come through Jacob, the Israelites, with a plan that his name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. But he's going to harden one's heart, and he's going to show mercy upon others. 
But what is important for everyone to understand about this, it is done not with deception. He is not deceiving Pharaoh and showing the truth to Israel. He is bringing the truth to both. But one, mercy is going to be shown to them, plural, but Pharaoh, his heart is going to be hardened, but it's going to be hardened with the truth through miracles, through signs and wonders. Let my people go. And he's bringing the truth to Pharaoh. And the truth is getting so clear right before his eyes what he needs to do. But that truth is hardening his heart. And let me just say it in this way. If you and I, if we preach the truth to 20 people, and the truth of the gospel goes to them, some of them, their hearts will be opened. Some of them will get upset and mad and will reject what is coming. And what happens to their heart? It gets hardened. So God opened the hearts of those that said, yes, I believe. I have faith. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. But what about the ones that reject him? Their hearts become hardened, but it's both coming from the truth, both coming from the light of the gospel. Both are receiving the same message. And if you look at the message to the Israelites and the message to the Egyptians through Pharaoh, the message was clear. God is saying, let these people go, the Israelites. They are to be set free and they are to be sanctified, set apart for my purpose and for my will. And you see Pharaoh's heart start to open up, but then it gets hardened. And the more that the truth comes to him, every plague, everything that Moses says, let my people go, his heart begins to get harder and harder through that whole process. I think one verse that helped me understand this is when it says that God draws all men unto himself. God is in the business of drawing us to himself And I used to always wonder, why was I the one who came to faith out of my friends at age 16? And what what was different? But I don't know what was going on in their heart. God could have been drawing them, and they rejected what that drawing was. And I responded to it. That's just an individual choice. But Sometimes we think maybe we're the only ones being drawn, but that's not true. Yes, and we look at God's mercy and grace, and sometimes we ask the question, why me, God? Why was I shown your grace? Think about Paul on the road to Damascus. Probably without that supernatural experience that took place in this light coming from heaven, how would Paul have ever embraced the truth? Paul preaches the grace of God in such an incredible way because he knows it within his own life. God's grace was extended to him, and he had faith, and he believed. The message of Christ goes forth. That is God's grace. Some hear, some believe, others reject, and their hearts become harder and harder over time. It is God that opens the heart. It is God that hardens the heart. But every time that we see it within God's Word— It is with truth, not with deception. And I want to say one other thing. For those that are out there, if you're in Calvinistic theology, Reformed theology, and I have a lot of good brothers and sisters in the Lord that were of the same faith, that you have accepted that, that they don't really believe in free choice. 
that God in his sovereignty has given us a free will to make a choice. Some of them say, well, Adam and Eve had a free choice, but after that, nobody has truly a free will and a choice. The Bible is clear. Joshua says to the people, choose this day whom you will serve. That's not a game. They had to make a choice of which direction that they would go. Why are the prophets preaching a message of repentance to the people? Because it's a game? They don't really have a choice? No, they have a choice. God knows whether or not they're going to receive the message or reject the message in advance because he's God. He knows all things. Yet they still go out preaching, teaching, sharing the good news, sharing a message of repentance back to God, knowing that this rejection is going to take place. When we see that, they had a free choice. You and I have a choice. We have a free will. We have the ability to receive or to reject. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned or credited to him as righteousness. He's not a robot. You and I are not robots. We are not told by God, Alan, you are forced to believe. God in his sovereignty has given you a free will. Is your heart going to be hardened or is it going to be opened up? You have a free will. The conviction of God's Spirit is coming, drawing you to Him, bringing the truth, conviction upon your heart. Now, choose this day which direction you're going to go. A covenant relationship with God is based upon two entities making an agreement and coming into a relationship. In the covenants with God that we look at, God sets the terms, puts that out before us, and we have to make a choice. Are we going to agree to this covenant relationship with God that is established in the blood of His Messiah, His Son? Are we going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'll just add one more thought to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. If you look at an an alternate reality where by the second plague, you know, Pharaoh could have said, wow, you are the one true God, and and this is your people, and I'm going to let them serve, and we're going to serve them with you. And that could have just been a totally different chapter, and it wouldn't have been called Exodus. You know, it would have been named something else. But that, that was a literal possibility for Pharaoh to do. You know, he could have accepted that. He could have let the Israelites go. But back to God in his foreknowledge, he knew Right. That His Pharaoh had already built up the pride, you know, and, and you look at Pharaoh, why he didn't do it, it was the power, this pride he had. He wasn't going to let these people leave after they'd served the nation of Egypt for 400 years. Yeah, so that's, in, in, but God's foreknowledge knew that that was going to get in the way. And even when he said, okay, you can go, you know, God still knew that he was going to come after them and then chase them all the way to Moses parted the Red Sea. Every opportunity was there for Pharaoh to say, yes, you're right, Moses. This is the one true God, and and I'm going to let your people go and and serve him and do what you have to do. But he didn't, because God foreknew that he wouldn't do that. But the option was still there, and I think that's in Eddie's life, and you see people that that are really hardened and, you know, are atheists or just, you know, won't even listen to anything about the gospel, they can still change. That opportunity is still there for them to change up until the time they die. And that's the beauty of God's grace and His mercy is that even up until that very last second, you can still make that choice to follow Him. But God foreknows who is going to do that and who's not. You know, Esau's heart, He knows our heart, He knows the person that you think is never going to come to Christ because they're so awful, but then they turn to Christ because God knew their heart and still kept reaching out to them. 
And God demonstrated his power through hardening of Pharaoh's heart and his name being known throughout the whole earth. And that's how it is with God's salvation, that God has a plan of redemption that we have to trust him. He's God. He's the potter. We are the clay. And God is bringing forth this redemption to the whole world that his name may be great among all peoples, all nations, all tribes. And there's a day that is coming that the knowledge and the fear of God will be upon the whole earth. And this plan of redemption is coming. And God is working this redemption and he's bringing truth. And this truth was going from Abraham through Isaac, the promise, through Jacob, the promise extended, through Jacob's name being changed to Israel and the Israelites in Egypt. And God is going to make his name known throughout the whole earth by what he's going to do to set them free through Pharaoh. And God knew all of this. God knows all of these things. God knew which direction Pharaoh would go. And God demonstrated his power to the whole earth. In the same way, the salvation that is coming to the nations, and as we're going towards the end of the age, God's name will be glorified in all the earth, and God has a plan of redemption. He knows all things, and God's plan will come about because he is God. This is such a great picture as well of God's plan of redemption for the whole earth. We do have free will. We do have a choice. God created us in this way. We're not robots. You cannot have a relationship with a robot. God created you in his image to have fellowship with him. And that comes by the ability of you to have faith in God, to choose this day whom you're going to serve, to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and to know that he is the way of God's salvation, and to say, my life doesn't belong to me, my life belongs to God. You're going to see this so beautifully in chapter 10, and I'm going to wait until we get to chapter 10 of how we do have this choice to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's close in a word of prayer, and then we'll pick up next time in verse 19. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, that you are sovereign. Thank you, God, that you know all things, and we place everything into your hands. And who are we to question you and how you are doing things, God? You will have mercy on whom you want to have mercy and compassion on whom you want to have compassion. And God, we entrust everything into your hands, God. And thank you, God, that there was a promise of a day that salvation would come to the nations And God, we are so thankful that we're part of that promise, and we give you praise, and we give you thanks. In the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.